It's time for the moment you've been waiting for. You're listening to Getting Bullied, a Flyers hockey podcast. Now crank it up and rip the knob. Boy, that escalated quickly. Podcast partner of phillyisflyer.com. This is Getting Bullied. Mark Giannone and Dan Silver with you as always. And we'll get right into it today, Dan. We have a special guest with us. And I will allow you to do the honors of introducing him. Yeah, absolutely. We are uh, honored. We've got a very special treat for uh, Flyers and the Philly sports fans out there. As we're honored to be joined by uh, Mike Sealski, who's a sports columnist for the Inquirer and Daily News. He uh, comes with a lot of his own accolades. He was the uh, Associated Press Sports Editors, uh, named him the top sports columnist in America in 2015. Mike, we uh, really appreciate you joining us. It's a pleasure being on with you guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so before we get into some of the questions about some of the some of the articles you've written, could you give the fans just a brief background, kind of so they can get to know you about you know where you're from and and how you came to work at the Inquirer and Daily News? Sure. Um, well, I grew up in suburban Philadelphia uh, in Montgomery County, and uh, grew up a big fan of all four uh, of the major Philly sports teams, um, and the Flyers are probably at the top of that list. Um, you know, I remember exactly where I was when Dave Poulin scored against the Quebec Nordiques, two men short in Game 6 of the 85 Wales Conference Finals. I remember exactly where I was when J.J. Daniel scored in Game 6 of the 87 Finals. Um, big Flyers fan growing up. Um, went to school locally, went to Upper Dublin High School, and then uh, LaSalle University uh, as an undergrad. Uh, got, my, got my master's degree in journalism. Um, came back and worked in the area for several years. Um, headed off to New York for three and a half years. I, I worked at the Wall Street Journal as a sports writer, which is kind of strange, but, but true. Um, covered the New York Jets and Tim Tebow, covered the Mets, uh, covered the NHL for uh, the entire time that I was up there. And then in 2013, in uh, September, I came back to Philadelphia when the Inquirer hired me um, to be one of their general sports columnists. And now that the Inquirer, the Daily News, and Philly.com are all under exactly the same umbrella. I technically work for, for all three. Um, so you can see my work in the Inquirer, Daily News, and on Philly.com. Um, that's, I, so I didn't know you were a Philly guy. That's great to know. And actually, so I grew up in Philly, and I worked in New York for a while in, in horse racing. And then uh, now I'm down in D.C., but we're all Philly guys here, so that's good. Um, cool. So one of the reasons I really wanted to bring you on was because right now is, for me, is one of the most negative times in terms of the, that I can remember in terms of Philadelphia Flyers Twitter and, and people's feelings. And, and, you know, you've got some special insight that you can bring to the table. And so, you know, I, you wrote a great article over the summer, which I want to get to in a little bit. But but first, you uh, you wrote an article uh, this week that's created a lot of controversy and chatter among the Flyers faithful. Uh, the headline was fire Dave Haxtall question mark, make a big trade question mark. Reality says the Flyers best solution is simpler. And so, you know, a lot of our listeners probably read the article, but for those who haven't seen that article yet, could you kind of like summarize what your points were there? Sure. Happy to. So my feeling is not that the Flyers are playing well, <laughs> you know, during this, four and seven start because they clearly aren't. Um, but my feeling is this, that after 40 years basically of a franchise that always acted as if um, entering a particular season, 
that they would do everything it, they possibly could to try to win the Stanley Cup that year. That after 40 years of that and that failing, it was time to try something different. And so I was on board with the idea of Ron Hextall um, doing something different, taking the franchise in a new direction, trying to rebuild the farm system, trying to, to take a different tack than the one um, that the franchise under Ed Snyder, you know, let's be honest what we're talking about here, um, had taken for all those years. So, you know, I was, I was relatively encouraged not knowing much about him, about the hiring of Dave Hextall. I thought, you know, this was a good sign that Hextall was um, – as I said, trying to do things a little bit differently. Um, and, you know, the more I looked at what the Flyers had been doing over the last, you know, decade, decade and a half, the more I kind of came to to think and understand that, you know, Hextall and Hackstall really had a lot of work ahead of them um, because in the salary cap era, coming, in, you know, into and out of the salary cap era, um, the Flyers really had not prioritized um, their farm system at all um, in terms of replenishing talent there and rebuilding the organization from the ground up. Um, so the idea, you know, at this point, my feeling is this, that over the last, to, to kind of summarize, over the last three plus years of Dave Hackstall, it was almost as if a reset button was pushed on the entire franchise. And the idea that uh, a Flyers fans being impatient at this point um, with what's gone on um, while I understand it, I think it's the wrong tack to take in a way. I think you're going to have to be patient. I think that's the best thing. I think all the, the reflex courses of action, fire the coach, make a big trade, um, you know, the reality of the situation, I think, suggests that those aren't necessarily the best things to do. Um, and while I understand how terribly the Flyers have been playing, and I understand that some of the issues they have now have been coming up over and over again during Hackstall's tenure, I think the bigger issue is, you know, the makeup of the roster, um, the the regenerating of, of talent within the farm system, and that's going to take more time. And I, I think as tough as it is for Flyers fans to, to act this way, I think patience is what's called for now. So, um, and the one thing I'll say is that Mike is terrific about responding to fans on Twitter. I mean, there's a lot of journalists from big papers out there who, you know, don't engage with the fans, and Mike always uh, responds uh, to fans on Twitter. And that's one of the things I really appreciate Mike about, about you is sure. that, you know, uh, you write these articles and then you'll, you'll defend them to people who are arguing with you. Um, and so, you know, one of the, one of the points that I kind of made when the article came out was that, um, I'm a very patient person and, you know, Ron Hextall took over in 2014 and I was all on board with, with the patience because we had a franchise that did things like trade a first round pick, like, Maxime Willette for an over-the-hill Adam Oates for a playoff run uh, when the guy's a you know, free agent coming up and the team gets, ex as expected, bounced in the first round and they basically traded a, a first-round goalie who didn't pan out, but for... No, but the principle you know, is... Yeah, you're, yeah, the, the right. principle. So, you know, I was very excited about going from a rash regime to one that Ron Hextel was creating with, with the prospects. And so my, my point was kind of that if if you had taken the tack that you did two years ago, I would have completely agreed um, that patience was necessary and his team was kind of on the upswing. I guess where I was coming from was that I look at it and I was kind of expecting this team to take a, a step forward this season. Um, 
and put the bad starts behind them. This team is notorious for having under 500 Octobers. Uh, the players were talking up a good game over the summer. And the season starts, and we're basically seeing the same problems that we've seen for the last three-plus years under Dave Haxtell, where we've seen um, you know, the Flyers are 27th in first-period goals since Dave Haxtell joined the organization, and, and they're 26th in first-period goal differential. And the penalty kill has been terrible the last you know number of years under Dave Haxtell. And so I was kind of hoping to see changes, systematic changes, that would give me more confidence in the in the head coach because I love what Ron Hextall has done in terms of building this team and and the prospects and he's you know really restocked the cupboard um I mean if what do you say to folks who say you know it's been five years since Ron Hextall took over and three plus years since Dave Paxtall took over we were hoping to see a little more growth at this point and more positive indicators that these systems were kind of on the upswing well, a couple, a couple things. Um, number one, I wouldn't start the rebuilding process when Hextall was hired because, uh, if you remember, he kept Craig Berube as the head coach for a year. Um, you know, they made they made a couple of changes, but you know, even that first season with Hextall, that wasn't a roster that you would look at and say, okay, you know, now the rebuild is is well underway. Um, you know, I, I think while while I understand your your concern about this the systematic issues that have come up. Um, I think in the bigger picture, uh, a couple things to me override that. Number one, we're only 11 games into this season, this season. and while that's a, it's not a tiny chunk, it's not a humongous chunk either. Um, secondly, I think you have to take into consideration a couple of other factors. Number one, they have the Flyers at the moment have the worst goaltending situation, you know, on their roster in the NHL. I'm not sure anybody would doubt that. You've got Two veteran guys who, you know, would be would not necessarily be highly regarded anyway, and they're both coming off of lower body surgery slash injuries that are probably rendering them not even at their top level. Um, save percentage reflects that. Um, number two, you're missing, you know, James Van Riemsdyk, and again, you want to talk about small sample sizes. You know, the Flyers beat the, you know, a team that reached the Stanley Cup Finals last year, and they're season opener and look pretty dominant doing it. And then Van Riemsdyk gets hurt. Um, is, does that explain everything? No, but it, it, you know, explains a little bit. Um, thirdly, I'd say this, that um, I don't look at a rebuilding team really almost in any sport, but particularly in hockey um, as necessarily having this kind of steady upswing. Um, you know, the Flyers have been getting progressively younger over the last three years. The first year that Hackstall took over the team, uh, coached the team. Their average age was more than 28 years old. Um, last season, it was around 26, and they're probably younger yet this year. Um, now, I understand that that people may look at that and say, well, that that's, means they're adding more young talent, and that's true to an extent. But I would argue that a good bit of experience um, can mitigate that. And, you know, while Ivan Provorov was – their best overall defenseman, I argue, the first two years he was there, that's as much as, A, that's as much a condemnation of their overall group of defensemen as it is a praise of Provorov, and B, he's still just 21, and he's not going to be immune to a 10- or 11-game stretch like he's had this season where he just doesn't play well, no matter who's coaching him. Um, and, and that's kind of where I'm coming down on this is, and then, you know, we can we can go into the bigger issue of, 
you know, is a team that has Claude Giroux and, and Jake Voracek and Wayne Simmons as its centerpieces, uh, one that's really equipped, um, you know, to compete for a Stanley Cup, um, there hasn't really been any indication of that yet. So there's a lot there. Um, I, I guess in general what I'm saying is I understand the frustration over 11 games this season, but within the bigger picture, um, you know, you're looking at 10 years or nine, I think I, in my recent column I said nine drafts, where the Flyers literally produced three impact players for their own organization over that time, Claude Giroux, Sean Couturier, and Shane Gostaspierre. That is not something, no matter how highly regarded their farm system might be right now, that is not something that you um, necessarily uh, replace or replenish in, in four or five years let alone, I'd say, three or four since the rebuild really began. So while I understand the impatience, um, I think we undersell how large the task Hextall and Hackstall had here. So uh, I want to get to your uh, the article you did over the summer, but I have one more question about the, sure. the article this week. and Because you actually did a pretty good job clarifying this today. And it, I had a question the initial time I read it, and then Bill Meltzer kind of echoed that was, you know, one of the things that you wrote in, in your article was, um, and this is a quote, that the Flyers have miles to go yet in replenishing a farm system that was all but barren for nearly a decade. And so to me, I didn't think that was necessarily accurate because, you know, even two summers ago in 2017, a number of the top prospect pundits said that the Flyers at that point had the best farm system in the entire league. Uh, and then that doesn't even kind of take into consideration all of the very talented 19 to 23-year-olds and Provorov and Konechny um, that are, you know, that are already on the roster and Nolan Patrick. So I was hoping you could just kind of explain that comment about the farm system having miles to go. Sure. Um, no, I, I believe me, I read all the prognostication and the evaluation about where the Flyers farm system is. Um, what I, When I mean that they have miles to go, what I'm suggesting is that no matter how highly rated any farm system is, not all of those players in that system are going to turn out to be NHL stars, right? Okay. So, you know, think of it, for instance, um, the analogy I would draw would be the Phillies. Okay. And I think this is a, a fair one. Back in from, let's say, 2007 through 2010-11, while on the field and at the major league level, Chase Utley and Ryan Howard and Jimmy Rollins and Cole Hamels were treating Philadelphians to a caliber of baseball they hadn't seen in years, and it was great, and everybody was loving it. But underneath that, the Phillies were not drafting well at all. There was, the, the entire organization was hollow. It was like this beautiful eggshell on the outside, and within it, it was empty. Okay, And that's what led to the down period that you saw from about 2012 and really are still seeing to this day. And, and part of what goes along with that is the presumption among people within that organization and particularly within the people who follow that organization that any prospect who shows a hint of promise or it seems to be highly regarded becomes part of the future of the team, okay? I mean, we heard that about, hey, Jake Thompson, you know, uh, who doesn't seem to be part of the Phillies' future now. Um, we heard that about Dominic Brown, who definitely was not part of the Phillies' future. You know, for every one prospect, for every Reese Hoskins or an Ivan Provorov who comes along and, and is great from the word go, there are two to five other prospects who people think are really good and don't pan out. 
So my only point with the miles to go uh, phrasing was that you had with the Flyers nine years of misses. You know, I had the one uh, the one stat I think I put in there that there are three drafts from 2008 to 2010. The three players from those drafts who played the most games for the Flyers um, were Eric Wellwood and Ty McGinn. And uh, I'm drawing a blank on the third one now. I don't have the, the column in front of me. But it was just – it was awful. And part of that was because they were trading away all those picks to try to win now. And part of it because they weren't hitting on the picks that they were making. So – to get back to the miles to go, while I understand how highly rated the Flyers system is, I don't think you can count on necessarily all those highly rated prospects hitting, you know, within four or five years. I think it's going to take eight, seven, eight, nine years to fairly evaluate whether they were able to replenish the farm system in the way that Flyers fans and Flyers themselves hope they have. Okay. Um, so I want to get to uh, this, you know, I thought it was a very insightful article that you wrote over the summer. Um, you know, all Flyers fans should read it. It was, uh, it's funny, I've had it up on my computer all day, so I've got the, um, the, uh, the, I guess, the moving image of Dave Haxtell wakeboarding on my computer all day. You're, but, uh, Dan, you you're going to do wonders for my uh, engagement time on philly.com. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yes. Uh, the article's titled Dave Haxtell Unmasked. And um, it was, I think it came out in multiple parts over the summer. Uh, definitely Flyers fans should check it out. And, you know, Dave Haxtell is a very kind of guarded personality and we don't learn a lot about him. So I was, you know, very excited to, to read more about him. And so I was hoping you could just uh, tell our listeners, our listeners a little bit about how that story ended up coming about. Sure, I'd be happy to. So after the Flyers season ended um, and ended in the fashion that it did, uh, in which, you know, they basically got freight trained by the Penguins, um, you know, for most of that series. I mean, I suppose it could have turned in game six and didn't. Um, but the season ended and, you know, I was fishing around during the summertime for, you know, a really in-depth piece to do. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized, you know, Dave Haxtell has been here three years. And not only don't I really know anything about him, but I feel like Flyers fans and people in the market who care about Philadelphia sports don't really know anything about him either. Um, and I thought it would be interesting to try to get to the bottom of who he was, um, you know, to, to see him when the, the, you know, when he's not behind the curtain, so to speak. So what I did was I emailed the Flyers PR staff um, and the, the head of the PR department, Zach Hill. And I said, look, I said, I want to spend some time with Dave. I want to do a gigantic story about him for this very reason, because nobody knows who he is. And we're three years into this now, and I could, you know, obviously I could sense that fans were dissatisfied with him, and I was just curious about him more than anything else. Um, and so Zach got back to me and said, I'll talk to, you know, people above me about it. I'll talk to Dave about it. And uh, so we set up a conference. Dave agreed to do it. We set up a conference call um, to talk about it. I met Dave and Zach out for lunch one day to kind of discuss it a little bit more, iron out details. Um, you know, schedule a time where I could come out to Grand Forks where uh, Dave and his family lived during the summer uh, and, you know, also spend a day at their lake house, their family's lake house um, in northern Minnesota. And it was born out of nothing more than, um, you know, me wanting to get to know him better. Um, and so instead of just kind of figuring, oh, I'll rely on that, um, I started making phone calls around um, to 
uh, people from his past, you know, the years he had coached in Sioux city. I didn't know much about who he was then. Um, you know, who, how he had dealt with things at North Dakota. I had read some of that, but, um, I wanted to know more and, you know, the, the feedback, um, and this, I guess would be interesting to, to people who, you know, listen to your pod and, and, and or follow the flyers. The feedback has been interesting because I, on the one hand, I've gotten a lot of people who reacted the way you did, um, who were eager to know more about him. But the flip side of that has been, there have been a lot of people who were just kind of like, I don't care anything about who he is. I think he's a lousy coach or I just want him to coach better. I just want the flyers to win. Um, and that, I mean, you know, I could kind of, in a way I can kind of see that. Um, but I keep telling these people, you know, I, I didn't set out to, um, to write a column criticizing Dave Haxtell. I've done that in the past. I've, I've been critical of him and his, you know, game time decisions and game handling situations, particularly in that series against the Penguins. Um, uh, but this was something else. This was, I'm going to, you know, give you a inside look at who this guy is, you know, what, what shaped him, what formed him, um, and kind of let you judge for yourself whether you think he's a good guy, a bad guy, a good coach, a bad coach, whatever. So you, you said that you set out to do this to find out who is Dave Haxtell. So I will ask you, who is Dave Haxtell? I think um, off the ice, I think he is a, a really, I think he's a good man. I think he's a, a very good husband and father. Um, he seems to have a very, he, I don't, he doesn't seem to, he does, have a very tight circle of friends. Um, loyalty matters a lot to him. Uh, you know, he, and this was a theme in the piece, he's able to kind of compartmentalize. He's not one of these guys who spends, who, who I mean, he's very intense about coaching and preparation, but by the same token, he's able to kind of turn that off and spend time with his family or friends or, you know, as has become a meme on Twitter now, go wake surfing, um, something like that. Um, in terms of his coaching philosophy, you know, I wonder how much of it he's gotten the chance to implement. And that's kind of, that's part of the reason I think I'm willing to be a little more patient with him is, you know, he inherited Giroux and Voracek and Simmons. And, you know, there have been other situations, you know, others, because of the, the nature of the salary cap league and, and really the Flyers salary cap situation, you know, this isn't, they aren't the Vegas Golden Knights. They couldn't just wipe the slate entirely clean and come in with a fresh group of guys and a fresh roster who Dave Haxtell could coach from the ground up. He's had to, you know, coach some plug and play guys and, um, you know, the Dale Weeses and the RJ Umbergers and, you know, people like that who were never going to be part of the Flyers if and when they ever, you know, really made the the upswing into an elite franchise. So, you know, he, he, all he does is coach the team. He doesn't make the decision, you know, Ron Hextall is running the show in terms of personnel and, and, you know, roster manipulation and things like that. So I'm certainly open to the possibility that he is not the right man for the job. Um, I guess my point in, in counter that would be, you know, the tendency in the NHL always, and the Flyers have been guilty of this as much as anybody, is when things get tough, fire the coach. And I've seen enough examples of that over time where a team has let a really good coach go and he goes to another franchise and proves, you know, maybe for the second or third time that he's a really good head coach. I'm thinking of people like um, Pete DeBoer who missed the playoffs three straight years in Florida, um, got fired, 
you know, got hired by the New Jersey Devils, took them to the Stanley Cup Finals his first year there when he had Ilya Kovalchuk and Zach Parise and a pretty good team. Um, you know, and then now is with the San Jose Sharks, took them to the finals his first year there, and again has a terrific team now. I'm curious to see what they do this season. A guy like John Tortorella, who, you know, won a Stanley Cup in Tampa, flamed out with the Rangers, flamed out with the Canucks, but now seems to be doing a pretty solid job in Columbus. Um, you know, I, I'm not somebody who thinks that, well, NHL, the NHL teams fire coaches all the time, so they should just fire Dave Hackstall or anybody else. Um, I, I'm willing to, to see what happens here once forces that are out of his control turn in his favor a little bit more. And by that, I mean the goaltending situation. By that, I mean some of the salary cap uh, moves that I'm sure Hextall wants to make. Um, and, you know, something as simple as getting James Van Riemsdyk back in the lineup. So it's it's interesting you talk about him inheriting a team with Giroux, Voracek, and Simmons. And you mentioned before, you know, the, the core of the team and, and maybe that could be part of the problem. I mean, do, do you think that that the because this has been a debate among Flyers fans and look, Jeru Voracek and Couturier almost all had career years last year. Mm-hmm. And so it took a little bit of the pressure off of them. But do you do you think that there's and you're around these guys? Do you think that there's like a sort of an inherent issue with with this core that is preventing this team from winning? is it an inherent issue? I just don't, I'm not sure their, their combined skills are good enough. Um, and what I mean by that is this, um, take Jake Voracek, who I have a terrific relationship with and he's a great guy. Um, every time I'm in that locker room and I need a quote about something or I need some insight about something, he's the first guy I go to. Okay. Jake is an incredibly creative offensive player. Um, and in many ways, a brilliant offensive player, but He's also a free spirit on the ice. Um, and, and he's a guy who I see as, while I understand and appreciate his contributions, um, I wouldn't necessarily be opposed, if possible, to moving him in a trade to, for the right group of players. Because I'm not certain that having him as your quote-unquote second-best player, let's say, behind Giroux, is necessarily the best alignment for this team to succeed moving forward. Um, I think you need, I think you need, a. is it tougher? Is it, is it more physical? Is it grittier? Is it something along those lines? You know, you need more of a guy and I can't believe I'm saying this cause I'm the guy who, when he got hired at the inquire was the one telling the flyers like cut Jay Rosehill cause he's gooning it up. And now I'm saying they got to be tougher, but in some ways they do like they, you know, the Washington Capitals can play, they're in, incredibly skilled, but they can play a more physical, edgier style of game, you know, than the Flyers can among their top players, you know, Ovechkin and, and John Carlson in the blue line, you know, guys like that. Um, you know, Drew, yeah, he had a career year, but he had to be moved to the left wing to do it. You know, he was not, he had not been an elite center really the last, you know, the previous couple of years. He had that 58 point season. Um, in 2016-17, the year they missed the playoffs, and um, there were questions about injuries and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I just look at the track record. I look at a team that, um, you know, for the last, what, six years has alternated making, missing, making, missing the postseason with those three guys, with, with Drew Voracek and Simmons, I'd say, um, as their core. Um, and I just wonder if, you know, having those guys at the top like that is is the best way um, to 
to to build the kind of team uh, that every you know that the Flyers want to build. Now I'm open to that possibility that maybe it can happen if if Nolan Patrick and Van Riemsdyk and Couturier you know continue to grow and kind of push those three guys into lower roles on the team. I suppose it's possible it could work, um, but that's going to take some time I think to see you know, how far a guy like a Nolan Patrick develops over the course of this season. It's not just going to happen overnight. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the fear of a lot of a lot of Flyers fans have is that by the time that the younger kids have developed uh, and become full-fledged NHL stars, the older guys may be over the top, and we may have missed out on that sweet spot uh, that would enable this team to perhaps, you know, compete for a cup. And, of course, the goaltending situation, as you mentioned, is, is yeah. a mess, and so we're all like, kind of like just, just to piggyback on that, I mean, Giroux, to me, is an interesting case study in this. You know, he has ta- I've talked with him. I did a column before the season began with him in which we discussed at length um, the arc of Steve Eiserman's career. I mean, Eiserman went from a guy who, you know, in the in the juiced puck era of the late 80s and early 90s, was putting up 137, 155 points in a season, you know, winning the Lester Pearson trophy and part of like the league's blessed trinity with, you know, Gretzky and Lemieux. And he went from that to being a Selkie trophy candidate, um, you know, the best leader in hockey, you know, a, a, a two-way player, non-parallel. And, you know, Drew, I think, could be that guy. And I think he may have to become that guy. Um, if, if this is going to work, I've maintained all along the first indication that the Flyers will have turned the corner is when Claude Giroux and Jake Voracek and Wayne Simmons aren't their best players anymore. Um, I don't see that yet. I don't, I suppose it's still possible. You know, it could happen this season. I think that you have to wait and, and find that out. I think it's less likely to go back to Jake. I think it's less likely that his style of play, uh, makes that possible for him. Uh, To me, you know, you need, you, he's a perfect guy and a good team who can freewheel um, because he's on the ice with other players who might be able to cover for him and allow him to be the freelancing, free spirited kind of guy he is. I'm not sure that style necessarily works as well um, when he's the number one or number two guy in the locker room. Um, this is really, you know, insightful stuff. I'm really, uh, this is, it's great. I've got two more questions for you. Um, one is, you know, the, one of the biggest complaints about Dave Paxtall is his the, the way that Flyers fans see him treating young players. So they'll see Travis Konechny make a turnover or take a penalty and he'll get benched or move down to the third line and Jake Warshak will do the same thing kind of without any, any type of retribution or scolding at least that we can see as fans. And, you know, one of the biggest things that Dave Paxtall talks about and you talked about in your article is accountability. And so I wanted to get your opinion on how you see him interacting with the young players, if you think it is uh, fair, and sort of what your what your thoughts are on his ability to develop these young players. Yeah, Dan, it's it's good that you mentioned that because that was a, a an area um, of discussion that I really wanted to target when I talked to Hackstall for the giant profile I did of him over the summer, and pardon me that I talked to uh, people around the league and around the team, um, you know, about that topic as well, and. The conclusion I kind of came to is this, that, that Hackstall in an odd way is almost coaching two different teams. He, there are the veteran guys, who many of whom may or may not be here when the Flyers, you know, if and when the Flyers turn the corner. And then there are the younger guys who they're counting on being there when they do turn the corner. And they want to inculcate in those guys the right kind of habits, the right kind of 
um, style of play um, so that, you know, a year from now, two years from now, you know, or maybe even next week, <laughs> they're not making the kind of mistakes that they shouldn't be getting away with making. Um, you know, so Shane Gostaspear, you know, not last season, but the previous season when he gets benched, keeps taking the wrong route to the puck in the corner or keeps making the more complicated play when he should be making the simpler play. And, you know, Haxtell mentions it to him and mentions it to him and mentions it to him and it keeps happening. And finally, it's got to be like, look, I'm going to sit you so that you understand, you know, what I'm a what I'm saying and b how important this is, um, because you're part of our future. You're part of what's going to be here when hopefully times get good. Um, now, as far as the the fondness for the veterans, I mean, it's interesting we're talking about this now because I think he just, you know, he, he just demoted Jake Voracek and um, who was it? Was it Simmons off the number one power play unit, you know, ahead of tonight's game in Anaheim? So I suppose you could take that, I guess, as a sign that he's holding some veterans accountable. Um, but I, I think that's what's at play here. Um, I think a little bit of the his leaning on the veterans is a little bit overstated. If you look at the minutes played, for instance, last year, um, you know, those guys at the on the fourth line and the third and fourth line played significantly less um, on a night-to-night basis than, you know, the higher-end guys, um, you know, both on, among the forwards and on the defense, um, you know, Brandon Manning and Radko Gudis, I think, were fifth and sixth in average, you know, time on the ice compared to even guys like Robert Haig. I think Haig played more. Now, again, you know, he benched Haig for, you know, the final 10 or 11 games of the season. And I think that one of the governing philosophies that, that Hackstall and Hextall share is this idea that, number one, I think coaches throughout the NHL, if you held a gun to their head and said, do you trust the veteran or do you trust the young player? 99, 999 out of a thousand are going to say, I trust the veteran player, regardless of skill level, um, just because of the experience factor. So I don't think Hackstall is necessarily an outlier in that regard. While I, even though while saying that, I understand why fans and even myself at sometimes want to see the young players play for the sake of development. I get that totally. Um, and the other thing is Hextall very much has the philosophy of, you know, you, you almost train these young kids like puppies that if they do something wrong and they keep doing it wrong, you sit them down or scold them until they do it right. Now, I don't know whether that's the right way to handle it. I don't know whether it's the wrong way to handle it, but I know that's, that seems to be their philosophy. And, um, I also know that, or at least suspect that it's going to take a little while for some of these young guys, you know, the, the Flyers young guys are really young, you know, with the exception of Gostaspear, who's what, 25, 25, I guess. Provorov's only 21. Um, you know, Lindblom is what, I think 20 or 21, correct me yeah, if I'm 21. wrong. Um, you know, Patrick's, Patrick's 20. 19 or 20 yeah, 19 20, or 20. Yeah. So, so these are, even for young guys in the NHL, these are really young guys. And Hextall has talked in the past about, you know, you, you, you won't necessarily see a, a real strong upswing um, in their, in their stats and in their style of play and the quality of their play until they get to be 23 or 24. It's going to take time. Um, I guess, you know, Maybe, you know, maybe this differentiates me from a lot of really passionate Flyers fans who want the team to be great. And I totally get that. But I'm willing to wait. I want to see what this what this happens. I want to I want to see what happens if if they wait and and play this out, because I've seen the alternative. I've seen trading Justin Williams for Danny Markov, and I've seen it not work in a big way. Um, it, I've seen Maxime Moulet, as you mentioned, traded for Adam Oates. And, 
you know, those mistakes led to have led to 43 years and counting without a cup. Like the the phrase I always use is the orange and black hamster wheel that the Flyers are just have been running on that for a long, long time. And finally, Ron Hextall came along and said, you know what, we're getting off the wheel and we're going to try it a different way. And, you know, I want to give them, you know, just as an outside observer, I want to give them the opportunity to, to show that that could work. And so, so the last question I wanted to ask you, I mean, you are uh, obviously, you know, you're a um, reporter for the biggest set of newspapers in the Philadelphia area. Um, obviously, you, you know, you, you spend a lot of time around the team. Uh, you know, regardless of your feelings towards whether or not Dave Hextall should keep his job, should not have his job, the same thing about Ron Hextall, you know, the, 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 the sentiment that most Flyers fans have is that Ron Hextall, all the last number of years, has kind of just been allowed to, to do whatever he wants. And a lot of most fans like what he's been doing. Um, you know, this year, again, it's, it's kind of the most negative that I've seen the fan base and you've got the fire Hextall chance going. Um, uh, I guess, you know, Comcast chairman Dave Scott has been a little more visible over the last few yeah. games. Do you, you know, if this team, hopefully they get off the schneid and they start, you know, they win on this West Coast road trip, maybe they win three out of four games. Um, if this team, let's say they go 0-4 on this road trip, I mean, do, do you think that that Comcast may shake things up? I mean, what is what is your sense? Well, I, I think this. Um, I think Ron Hextall is very convinced that Dave Hextall is the right guy, that the right coach. Um, whether uh, Dave Scott and Comcast are going to exert any pressure on him, on Hextall, to fire Hextall if things continue to go badly, as you outlined, um, that is a really interesting question to me. Um, you know, because... Comcast and Scott are business people. And I think in a way the Flyers, you know, Hackstall here and Hextall to a degree are victims in a way of what's come before them. You know, I understand, I get that Flyers fans are not happy with the way things are now. I get that they're impatient. They've been conditioned over more than four decades to presume that when things go bad, a change is made. And respectability is restored. And I get that. I get that they're used to changes being made. And I think that by voicing their displeasure, you know, Dave Scott probably hears that. I don't know. I've never talked to the man, but I assume he hears it. And I'm, I assume he is discussing with Ron Hextall and on, a, on a daily, weekly, whatever basis saying, look, what are we doing here? Are you really committed to this? Um, is this really going to work? Because every night I go into our building and I hear fire Hextall chants and I see six to one to the Islanders and I see eight to two to the San Jose Sharks. And I'm doubting this myself. Um, and so, you know, to play this out, I wonder if if it doesn't get better. And I don't know when that date would be. I don't know if it's an 0-4 road trip on the West Coast. I don't know if it's December and they're in dead last place. I don't know when that time comes. But I would think that I'm just guessing that that Hextall would get another chance to hire another head coach if he were forced to fire Dave Haxtell. And I think that's what this is going to come down to. I think he's going to have to be, if, if Dave Haxtell is going to be fired, my guess is that Ron Haxtell is going to be forced to do it because I don't get the sense, contrary to what some fans might say, I don't get the sense that the team has given up on him, uh, 
on, on Dave Haxtell. I don't get that sense at all, but either from talking to players um, or from talking to people who are around the team who would know that kind of thing. Usually you hear complaints leaked. You know, often in Flyers history, they're more than leaked. They are gushed from a fire hose in the case of, you know, Bill Barber, for instance, when he got fired. You had Brian Boucher and, and Keith Primo basically, you know, ripping him as soon as the season ended um, back in 2002. That's not happening now. There, there aren't those whispers now. Um, so, you know, if he if Hextall gets fired, I think Hextall is going to have to be persuaded, you know, quite quite seriously to do it. And then I would think he would get another chance to hire a head coach. Whether that's going to happen or not, I don't know. Got it. Well, Mike, uh, I know you were uh, you uh, stayed on past the the time that you you said we were going to, and we really really appreciate it. Um, did you have uh, you know anything else you wanted to want to you know give you the floor if you had any? else uh no i just you know I, I will say this like i i very much appreciate um the feedback i get from everybody who reads my columns about the flyers it's the one thing i kind of always count on that anytime i write about the flyers um i'm going to get very passionate and uh often insightful and, and honest feedback from people um you know i totally get that um you know and i, I, I that's pretty much it like just you know understand i think i think Flyers, Flyers fans more than any fan base in the city um, tend to kind of assume that everybody's on board with wanting to see the best for the team. Um, and I don't come at covering them that way. Um, I kind of come at it from a bit of a detached perspective and just kind of saying, hey, look, this is what I think from a distance. Um, you know, I understand how you feel the way you feel, um, but, uh, you know, that's not my job. My, not, my job isn't to be a fan. My job is to look at this as dispassionately as I can. You know, I remember a week after I got hired at the Inquirer was the um, the infamous, um, you know, Ed Snyder fresh approach slash culture change press conference uh, where uh, Mr. Snyder yelled at me <laughs> in front of everybody for asking about whether the, the franchise needed a fresh approach. And I took a lot of, um, you know, I took a lot of guff from Flyers fans for that all those years ago. Um, but my aim then was the same as it is now. It's to... It's to ask questions and, and try to get, you know, to the bottom of what the organization is doing right and what it's doing wrong. And, um, you know, same thing with that Hackstall story. Just, you know, I wanted to know more about the guy and I wanted to show him to people in a way that he, they had not seen him before. You know, whether it was taking an 8-43 and 43 team in Sioux City, Iowa and turning them into a playoff team in the, uh, the United States Hockey League you know, or whether it was wake surfing on his boat or whether it was challenging with questions about how he coached, you know, that Penguin series earlier this year. Um, I just wanted to show people, uh, you know, a Dave Hackstall that was true, that was who he really was, and, and that was something that people hadn't seen. So, you know, to anybody who's listening, I always appreciate the feedback. I always appreciate you reading my stuff, and I hope you continue to do so. Well, Mike Sielski, award-winning sports columnist for the Inquirer and Daily News, we, uh, we very much appreciate you joining us tonight. Anytime, guys. I enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Thanks, Mike. All right. So obviously, you know, Dan, you did a great job with that interview. It was I thought it was my place to kind of sit back, let you guys, you know, have a little bit of a debate there, because that's it, that's where this whole thing started was on Twitter. And uh, when, when his article came out, I think it was yesterday, you, you know, you kind of. You were going back and forth with them a little bit, so I wanted to just let you guys kind of, you know, do your own thing there. But a couple things that I took from 
from the interview there and some of the things he said. And what stood out first to me was when when you brought up the the prospect pool and how we all know that it's kind of it's really been reformed under Ron Hextall, and he said that it's still miles away. And he he you know he elaborated on what he meant by that. And to a point, uh, to to a certain extent, I I agree with what he said when he said that yeah you know we have all these new players in the in the system with a lot of promise but right now they are still prospects and it's going to take a while before we're going to see them start to pan out and become NHL players until until we can really see what they're going to be and i thought his analogy there with the Phillies was spot on because when the Phillies were going through their whole run and winning the world series and everything like that yeah everything looked good on the outside but underneath they were a team in crisis, as we're seeing right now, much like the Flyers. When the Flyers were trying to win the Stanley Cup every year, and they were making moves to, you know, stock the team with as much talent as they could, everything looked good. We were all excited as fans because we wanted that championship so bad. And it kind of went by the wayside, and nobody really was paying attention much to the fact that there weren't any young players coming up. So he said seven, eight, nine years before we really see what this prospect pool is. And I don't know if that's going to quite take that long. Um, I mean, to me, it's probably like a four, five, six-year window. But I definitely, when he said that, it made a lot of sense. And it, it, I was glad that he was able to explain that in a way that I, I kind of understood. Because I, 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 I agree with him that... Yeah, there's a lot of promise right now in in this system with these prospects, but as of right now, all that is is promise, and all they are are prospects, and it's going to take a while before we could really see the fruits of the labor that Ron Hextall has put into the farm system. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think he's just kind of thinking about it a little differently than, than a lot of fans do when they hear farm system, right? I mean, as we've talked about ad nauseum, the Flyers have one of the best farm systems in the league, and they did last year and they do again this year uh but i think he's kind of coming at it from the perspective of including how these players work out ultimately in the nhl under the farm system umbrella Mm -hmm. so you know and 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 when he was talking about that and you watch ivan Provorov struggle a little bit this year and nolan patrick had an injury early on but he's still struggled a little bit you do realize that it is going to take these kids some years of ups and downs uh, to reach their full potential. And some of, for some of them, a lot of them, the full potential might not be as much as us fans think. Of course, the debate is whether or not Dave Haxtall is uh, helping or hindering these young kids get to their potential. And, you know, I, I guess that still remains to be seen, but, but, Yes, I think that uh, that was a, a well-thought-out response from Mike and certainly understand what he's talking about there in terms of what he considers to be the farm system. Another thing that um, stood out to me, when he, when you guys were talking about the article that he wrote over the summer when he went to Minnesota and hung out for a day with with Dave Haxall and his family and sounded like he even met some of his friends you know, on the boat wakeboarding, the whole thing, um, he mentioned that Loyalty is a big thing with Dave Haxtell, and I think that kind of correlates to how he runs the team and how he sets up the lineup. You know, so much of what we do as fans and watching these games is, you know, getting aggravated about the lineups he sets and 
you know, Dale Weiss that we saw even even this week, you know, Dale Weiss, he says is playing well. He elevates him from the fourth line to the third line. So I think that loyalty that Mike was talking about that's in Dave Haxtell is, you know, it's great. Who doesn't want a loyal head coach? But to a point, it can be somewhat of a hindrance because he's so loyal to players like Dale Weiss, like Yuri Laterra, like um, – Pierre Edouard Belmar back in the day and Chris Vandevelde, players like that. He's so loyal to those to those type of players because even Mike said it, he wants you know, he wants a grittier approach. He likes that grittier player and that's who those guys are. You know, they're not the overly skilled guys who are going to go out and you know, produce a lot of offense and get a lot of scoring chances. So I think that loyalty, and like I said, obviously you, as a player, you want a loyal head coach, but I think that loyalty to the type of player that I think he ideally thinks works better in his system, that loyalty is hurting players like Travis Konechny and Nolan Patrick and Scott Lawton. You know, not a lot, of, not enough is talked about Scott Lawton because he's played, he's probably been the Flyers' best player in this young season, 11 games in, and Dave Axel's loyalty to a guy like Dale Weiss gets him bumped to the third line, and Lawton gets bumped down to the fourth, and now he's playing with lesser talent, which is going to hurt his play because he's not he's not the type of player that can instantly make the two guys that he's playing with that much better around him. He you know he's a guy that thrives playing with better players, and we've seen that so far this year. And you know, again, that loyalty, I'll say again, has is hurting a guy that is playing some of the best hockey of his career. Yeah, the whole Lawton thing is, I don't know. I mean, I was joking today. You know, Ron Hextall came out and he said that basically everyone on this team has been inconsistent this season except for Scott Lawton. And right on cue, Dave Hextall put Scott Lawton on the fourth line. Mm-hmm. Part of me thinks that Dave Haxtell views this as a promotion because as far as I can tell, he, he places guys that in general that he has trust in on that fourth line. And maybe, you know, I've got to look and see again, we're recording this podcast before the Anaheim game. Um, I, I, I don't know if that, that fourth line is going to be Lawton, Goldborn and Albe Kubel or Lawton, Laterra and Albe Kubel, but the thought crossed my mind that, that Dave Haskell wants a consistent presence with Lawton on that line since they may have a couple of rookies on there. But uh, but I don't know. It's 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 strange. I mean, the, the stuff that, and Mike talked about how for this game, Haskell is taking Voracek and Simmons off the top power play unit, and that you know maybe that shows that he is sort of castigating some of these veterans. To me, a lot of the moves that Dave Axtell has is making for this game against the Ducks kind of reek of uh, desperation. Yes. And he's just kind of like trying desperately to figure out some way to get this team untracked. And last year, Tyrell Goldborn came up and the team started playing pretty well. Um, you know, maybe that's what they're thinking. But a lot of these moves right now just reek of desperation to me. And so obviously, I hope that the Flyers can turn it around that are successful on this trip. But, um, but part of me, you know, also wants to see, you know, if this team continues to struggle and it doesn't look like they're responding to Dave Haxtell, you know, what, what will happen? It's kind of an, an interesting 
story to follow. I mean, the bottom line is we want this team to do well. I have major doubts based on the start of this season that Dave Haxtell uh, is going to be able to be the kind of NHL head coach who can elevate the team um, above the talent that they have. You know, you go to the playoffs and you know that uh, Mike Sullivan is going to get the most out of the Penguins. And you see what they're doing with Jack Johnson, whose career was basically over, and they traded for him, and now he's been really good defensively for the Penguins. So, you know, that team, they get it done. Their coaching staff gets it done. And we haven't really seen that from the Flyers yet. So... I, this road trip is going to be very interesting, and hopefully when people are listening to this podcast, uh, the Flyers will have won the game against Anaheim, but uh, who knows what will happen. It's funny you mentioned the Penguins, because the Penguins were a team that under Dan Bilesma won, won championships, and when things started to kind of go sour there, the management of the Penguins didn't hesitate midseason to fire Dan Bilesma and bring in Mike Sullivan, and we've obviously seen what that has done. You know, a few years later, here we are, Penguins had, you know, won two in a row and played, you know, deep into the playoffs in that third straight playoff round or, you know, the third straight playoffs after coming off two cups. So I think you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, going into a playoff series and we've seen it now, the Flyers in two separate playoff series under Hackstall and they didn't win either of them and if you're the management of this team and you're looking at how they played those series and you're looking, especially right now, forget the past, but right now, these 11 games that the Flyers have played and the lack of response of, you know, you, you, you get beat down in some of these games and the lack of response coming in to the next game and uh, responding to poor play in a previous game, it, it, it's just, it's so... It's so it's such a glaring issue, and to me, I don't you know I I don't ever know when exactly a team starts to not listen to the coach. But just thinking about that game on Saturday, it's one thing to lose six to one to a team that you know who knows at this point. I mean, the Flyers are probably on the same level as the Islanders, but to lose to a team 6-1 at home in the fashion that the Flyers did, there's no way that you can look at that game as a fan, as an analyst, as you know another professional in the NHL, whether it be a coach, a general manager, a player. There's no way you could look at that game and say, yeah, the Flyers are still playing for Dave Haxel because to me, from my eyes and from what I'm reading, from what I'm hearing, from a lot of other people's eyes, the perception is the Flyers have all but quit on Dave Haxel. And the only reason that they're listening to him at all is because they still respect the fact, they still respect the title of head coach. But whatever he's preaching, whatever game plan he's trying to implement, it is going in one ear and right out the other with this team. They're not responding. They're not listening. And by and large, I don't want to say they don't care because you listen and you can only take so much from a post-game interview or a practice interview with these players because they're going to give you, you know, the chalk, cliche, hockey answers. You know, we're gripping the sticks too tight. We have to take it back to basics, stuff like that. You know, that's just... It's all scripted at that point, but play on the ice speaks volumes. And the way that the Flyers played that game Saturday, the way they have played during this losing streak, tells you all you need to know about how this team thinks about their head coach. 
Yeah, I mean, again, this road trip's going to be very telling. Uh, I think that um, they play, you know, they're playing a couple of mediocre teams to start out the road trip. The, the Anaheim Ducks have been one of the worst five-on-five teams this season. The LA Kings have been one of the worst teams in the league this season, period. Then they're in San Jose. That's going to be a tough game. Uh, but then at Arizona, who, again, in their Arizona, is, uh, they've made some strides, but they're not really um, doing all that well. So it's uh, this, this road trip's going to be pivotal. And, and the last question I asked Mike about what what happens if this team goes 0-4, it's, you know, his sense is that Ron Hextall is not going to fire Dave Hextall unless he is forced to by, you know, Comcast CEO Dave Scott. So that's going to be a, a very interesting story to follow. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 beyond frustrating at this point. And every day you look at Twitter, and there's at least five times a day where I look at Twitter and there's, like, something about the Flyers, like a quote or something, you know. A, a, one of the beat writers will, will – make mention of something that happened at practice and I just laugh. I mean, at this point, I'm just, I, I can't help but laugh and just smirk at some of the stuff that's going on here. And I, I, you know, I've lost pretty much all excitement for this team. You know, these games that come up and I'm just like, you know, I, I don't, I don't have a desire really to watch them. And when I watch them, I feel like it's more of a chore than it is me being able to sit back and relax and watch a sport that I love and a team that I love. It's become more like work than anything else. And the worst part about it is I feel like management and the coaching staff is looking at what's happening on the ice and they are not seeing what is in front of them. I feel like they are trying to tell the fans that what we're seeing isn't really happening when we know it is. And I just, I get this sense that the flyers are just spinning their tires day after day and how Ron Hextall can look at how this team has played, how they responded to this head coach and not think that something is wrong is it's ridiculous and it's embarrassing and it's insulting to us, the fans. And, you know, and Mike brought it up when when the CEO, when the owner of the team is, you know, in the stadium for a game, a home game, and he sees empty seats, he hears his team getting booed, they're they're chanting to fire the coach. That speaks volumes. That says a lot to a businessman like him that doesn't, you know, in the business world, there's not a lot of room for loyalty. You know, it's kind of whatever's going to get the job done, whatever's going to be more profitable for the overall goal. That's what they care about. And once it starts hurting the Flyers in the pocket, once they start seeing more and more empty seats, that's when you're going to start seeing some – that's when the higher-ups above Dave or Ron Hexel are going to start saying, okay, there's something wrong here. Something has to be done. This is on you to fix. We brought you in here for a reason. This guy isn't working out. Find somebody who will. And until that happens, until it's right now, it's it, it's a lot of this is on the fans if, to get any kind of change made, because the more unrest that we bring up, the more upset we are at games, the more embarrassing it gets for the Flyers organization as a whole, the closer we are to something being done. But, you know, right now, like I said, this team is a chore to watch. It's not exciting anymore. And it's just embarrassing. This is an embarrassing team to say that you are a fan of. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't want Dave Haxtell to get fired because the fans are chanting fire Haxtell. I 
I want him to get fired if he deserves to get fired. And again, I'm at the point now where I just don't, I don't see it working. I don't, I understand that James Van Riemsdyk's been injured and the goalies are, you know, terrible uh, for, for lack of a better word. But just the, I, the, what really gets me is I don't understand how for three straight years under Dave Paxton, three plus years, they, they, they still haven't figured out how to get motivated for the first period. Right. Isn't that on a head coach? That's, I, mean, I think so. I mean, I mean that's, that is on a head coach. How does this team not get motivated? I get it's sick of every game hearing Claude Giroux and, and these players say, you know, well, we just got to jump out faster. And at this point, guys, words mean nothing. You got to go out there and do it. Right. And you can't trade the entire team. So maybe it is an issue with the core. You know, maybe there's some problem with Claude Giroux and, and Jake Voracek and Wayne Simmons. And, and I don't know. But, uh, you know, it, it sure seems to me that, that a lot of these issues reflect directly on the head coach, the team not being prepared to come out and start strong, uh, the penalty killing being so horrific, and they refuse to do anything about it. Uh, so, you know, to me, I've just kind of – and a lot of people ask me uh, the last few days, what would you do if you got rid of Dave Axtell? And that's a good question. I mean, yeah. I – what I've been saying is I would look at uh, making Scott Gordon the interim head coach. He's the head coach for the Phantoms right now. Maybe make him the interim coach. He knows all these young players. Uh, see how he does the rest of the year and then reevaluate in the offseason. The only assistant coach who I would think about elevating to interim head coach is Chris Knobloch. But you know what's amazing is the Flyers hired Chris Knobloch, who was, uh, I think he was Connor McDavid's coach in the OHL with the Erie Otters. Uh, we haven't really not heard much about him at all, mm-hmm. which I don't really know how, how to take that. But we hear much more about Ian LaPerriere, uh because of the penalty kill. We don't hear a whole lot about Knobloch. So, but um, but you know, it's if you fired the, the coach, you'd you'd almost be. I don't know if you'd be giving up on this season, but um, you know, it would certainly. I don't know. It could shake things up, but also it would kind of be fairly traumatic for the for the team early on i i don't know it's there's a lot of there's a lot of variables at play and this this road trip is just going to have a massive impact on what happens but what i will say is that if they go out and they win you know three games on this road trip but they do it the wrong way and they're still falling behind early it will not make me feel any better because they're the teams they're playing other than san jose are not great hockey team so i want to see this team play hockey the right way on this road trip and win i don't want to see them luck into a few victories against bad teams yeah and that's that's part of the problem there is results will you know there's times where results are really meaningless yeah if you win one nothing but you play a garbage hockey game and happen to happen to get a lucky bounce you know off a shin pad you know that doesn't mean that you played well that just means that you were lucky enough to win and when you mention that, it may, I feel like that's what, you know, Ron Hexall, Dave Hexall will go off of. Oh, you know, we went out to the West Coast and out of four games, you know, we won two of them. But they could have been two garbage hockey games that the Flyers were lucky to win. You know, it, right now, this is the best time. This is probably the best time for them to go out West and play the teams that they're playing because the Ducks are, you know, they've lost five in a row. The Kings, we know what their problems are. They're having, you know, players-only meetings like every other day. The Sharks are the Sharks, you know. If, if the Flyers are, if the Flyers beat them, it'll be nothing short of a miracle. 
and, you know, the world might end the next day. And the Coyotes are, you know, kind of the same thing. They're just a fledgling team that the Flyers should be able to skate with and beat. So right now, this is a really good time for the Flyers to have this four-game West Coast trip. They could kind of clear their heads, get away from the city, because like Dave Haxtall said after the Islanders game, for whatever reason, they tense up at home. Again, blaming the fans at home for their team playing like shit. That's a whole separate issue. So now they get a, they get to get away from their fans that are supposed to uplift them that they can't play well in front of. They go out west. They get to bond, have their team dinners, their team building exercises, things like that. Play a couple of teams that are in the same boat as them that are struggling. And if they take if they take two of four and they're two impressive wins, then okay, you have something to go off of. You know that you have the ability to play the right way. But if they take two of four, and like you said, if they play, if they're two bad games, and they just get lucky enough to win, then that doesn't solve anything. And to Ron Hexall to Dave Hexall, I feel like to them, they look in the point column, they'll see, all right, we got four points, they got we got four out of a possible eight points. That's good. We're heading in the right direction. And they don't sit there and analyze how they got those four points. They just see four points. Four points means two wins. We're doing good. Yep, and uh, my gut instinct would be that, you know, that Ron Hextall is, is hoping that regardless of how they play, that the Flyers win these games so he doesn't have to keep answering questions about Dave Hextall and feeling the pressure because, as Mike said, it certainly does seem like Ron Hextall thinks that Dave Hextall is his guy. Yep, that's the scariest part about all of this during Halloween. That's the scariest thing is Ron Hextall believing that Dave Hextall is his guy. Well, nothing we can do about it as fans, but just, um, I guess, go along for the ride. But one quick side note, Dan. Um, some news that came out of the Philadelphia area today. I know you're down in D.C., but have you ever been to the event Wing Bowl? Of course. You've been there. Love the you Wing know- Bowl. I, well, yeah, I I, uh, I interned for WLP back in the, uh, the, the heyday, the inauguration of, of the wing ball. It's an event I am uh, very familiar with. So you have some stories. We should have did this earlier. That's crazy. Oh, I've got, I've got all kinds of stories about, um, Mike Missinelli and Angelo Cataldi and Howard Eskin. And yeah, I interned, uh, for WIP for a summer and it was, it was, uh, interesting to say the least. I spent one day just walking around the mall with Al Morganti. Wow. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, but so the news was Wing Bowl after 26 years um, is no more. Last year was the last year. Um, management at WIP basically said that, you know, w- or Wing Bowl was started 26 years ago as a way to supplement, you know, to kind of get people excited going into Super Bowl weekend because they said the Eagles are never going to win it, so we need something to get excited about for that weekend. And, you know... Obviously, the Eagles finally won it and sent the city crazy. So they said that was it. Mission accomplished. And that was the last one. I've been to two wing bowls. I was at 24 and 25. And um, both times I did some real soul searching. And you do that (laughs) when it's nine in the morning and you're pissed drunk and you should be at work and you're on your way to a strip club. So it's it. I'm sure a lot of people have a lot of fond memories and a lot of blurry memories of Wing Bowl. So that was a bit of a sad, you know, a bit of a sad thing coming out today. But you know, 
the memories are there and we'll always have them. Um, so Dan, again, I got to give you major props on the interview with Mike. You did a great job. You did, you know, you took a great back and forth from Twitter and took it to a serious and intellectual discussion about the team. Um, it didn't, you know, it didn't get out of hand. Not that I expected it would be. So kudos to you on the interview. You did a great job and I'm sure people are going to love it. Yeah. I mean, you know, thanks again to Mike for joining us. It's always, and I see the same thing because, you know, I'll write my articles and I'll get called an idiot by people. And, and you just, uh, when you have time to really talk to someone and get their opinions on something outside of Twitter or even, even in Mike's columns for the Inquirer and Daily News, he's on a word limit. So, you know, he's restricted to what he can talk about. And you really hear, I'm glad we had the interview because I found out that he's from Philadelphia and he's a passionate Flyers fan. Um, and, uh, you know, he, you, he's, he's got a lot of uh, historical knowledge about this team. And so you find out things about people that you wouldn't ordinarily know. Uh, and he's got a tough job. I mean, you know, writing for the, uh, the Daily News Inquirer, and he writes about all the Philadelphia sports teams. And I think he does a really good job. And, and what I do appreciate is that he is always willing to engage people on Twitter and there's not, you know, there's a lot of folks in his position that, that don't do that. And mm-hmm. so, you know, really want to thank Mike for joining us on the show. And I think it was a really, really insightful interview. Yeah, it went a little longer than we expected. But, you know, when things are going like that, you kind of just got to let them fly and work out as they will. And we did. And I think people are really going to like it. And one thing that really came out of the interview that stuck out, <laughs> I chuckled and, uh, I chuckled a little. I had to mute the mic because I was I was laughing a little bit when I think he may be. I know he was the first. He may be the only person ever, besides right now, to say Jay Rosehill's name on this podcast, and that threw me for a loop a little bit. So that was that was a fun thing to remember a guy like Jay Rosehill. Hopefully, we don't have to get guys like him on the team anymore. But it was fun to uh, you know remember those harsh times. I guess a little bit. Absolutely. The Dan line. Maybe we can reunite them. Yeah. Um, All right, Dan. Well, go ahead. Give your shameless plug of the week for your Twitter and your articles and all that good stuff. So you can follow me on Twitter uh, at DSilver88. The 88 is for Eric Lindros. Mm -hmm. And check out our articles over at www.phillyisflyer.com. Got a lot of good content up there. Uh, You know, that. You can look at my optimistic state of the union, which is written before the season started. Uh, the next piece I write will probably be another prospects update later uh, in the year, early next year. But we've got great stuff up there. A lot of great contributors doing post-game reports and other content. So definitely check it out. Absolutely. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Mark Flagman. Two ends. Follow this show at underscore getting bullied. You can listen to the podcast on SoundCloud, on Apple, I on Apple Podcasts, and of course, the podcast tab of phileasflyer.com. So until next week, we will do this again. Uh, We are working on another guest of, um, you know, to kind of come on, debate some topics and things like that. So we look forward to doing that. Everybody have a great week. And until next time, let's go Flyers.